Hello, this is Father John Arthur or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 60th installment, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. The 133 presentations prepared and delivered by Pope John Paul II between the years 1979 and 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we are using. Appendix the ethos of the body in art and media. In our earlier reflections, both in the context of Christ's words, in which he appeals to the beginning, and in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, when he appeals to the human heart, we have attempted to show in a systematic way how the dimension of man's personal subjectivity is an indispensable element present in theological hermeneutics, which we must discover and presuppose at the basis of the problem of the human body. Thus, not only the objective reality of the body, but far more so, as it seems, the subjective consciousness as well as the subjective experience of the body enter at each step into the structure of the biblical text and therefore require that one considers and reflects them in theology. Consequently, theological hermeneutics must always consider these two aspects. We cannot consider the body as an objective reality outside of man's personal subjectivity, the personal subjectivity of human beings, male and female. Practically all the problems of the ethos of the body are at the same time linked with the body's ontological identification as the body of the person and with the content and quality of subjective experience that is at the same time living both one's own body and in interhuman relations, particularly in the perennial man-woman relation also the words of First Thessalonians, in which the author exhorts men and women to keep their own bodies with holiness and reverence, that is, the whole problem of purity of heart, points without any doubt to these two dimensions. These are dimensions that directly concern concrete, living human beings, their attitudes and behavior. Works of culture, especially works of art, allow those dimensions of being body and of experiencing the body to extend in some way beyond these living persons. Man encounters the reality of the body and experiences the body also when it becomes a subject of creative activity, a work of art, a content of culture. Although one must recognize as a matter of general principle that this contact comes about on the level of aesthetic experience, which is a matter of looking at the work of art. In Greek, astiomia, look, observe. And thus, in the case at hand, it is a matter of the objectified body outside its ontological identity. In a different way, and according to the criteria proper to artistic activity, Nevertheless, the man who is enabled to take such a look is from the beginning too deeply tied to the meaning of the prototype or model, which in this case is he himself, the living human being and the living human body. 
to be able to detach and to separate completely that substantially aesthetic act of the work in itself and its viewing from the behavioral dynamisms or reactions as well as the value judgments that direct that primary experience and the primary way of living. This kind of look, which is by its nature aesthetic, cannot be completely isolated in man's subjective consciousness from the look about which Christ speaks in the Sermon on the Mount when he puts us on guard against concupiscence. Thus, the whole sphere of aesthetic experiences lies at the same time within the realm of the ethos of the body. It is, therefore, quite right also to think here about the necessity of creating a climate favorable to purity. In fact, this climate can be threatened not only in the manner in which the relationships and the common life of living human beings unfold, but also in the realm of the objectifications proper to works of culture, in the realm of social communications, when the spoken or written word is involved, in the realm of images, that is, of representation and looking, whether in the traditional or contemporary sense of the term, in this way, we come to the various fields and products of art, of sculpture, of drama, and of the art based on contemporary audiovisual technologies. In this area, which is vast and much diversified, we should ask ourselves a question about the human body as an object of culture in the light of the ethos of the body outlined in the analyses carried out so far. Before all else, it should be observed that the human body is a perennial object of culture in the widest sense of the term, for the simple reason that man himself is a subject of culture and employs his humanity in his cultural and creative activity, thus also including his own body in this activity. In the present reflections, we must, however, restrict the concept of object of culture, limiting ourselves to the concept understood as a subject of the works of culture, and in particular of works of art. In sum, the issue is the thematic representation or objectification of the body in such works. One should, however, immediately make some distinctions, at least in the form of an example, the living human body, man's and woman's body, which creates the object of art and the work of art out of itself, as in theater, in ballet, and up to a point also at a concert, is one thing. Another thing is the body as the model of the works of art, as in modeling art, sculpture, or painting. Is it possible to put film or the art of photography in the wide sense on the same level? It does seem so, although from the point of view of the body as object or subject, we find in this case quite an essential difference. In painting or sculpture, man-body always remains a model that is subjected to a specific reworking by the artist. In film, and even more in the art of photography, there is no transfiguration of the model, but the living human being is reproduced, and... In this case, the human body is not a model for the work of art, but the object of a reproduction achieved by appropriate technologies. One should note right away 
that the distinction just made is important from the point of view of the ethos of the body in the works of culture. And one should immediately add that artistic reproduction, when it becomes the content of representation and transmission, television or cinema, loses in some way its fundamental contact with man-body, whose reproduction it is, and very often becomes an anonymous object, such as, for example, an anonymous photographic nude published in an illustrated magazine, or an image spread to TV screens all over the world. Such anonymity is the effect of the spreading of the image reproduction of the human body, objectified first with the help of technologies of reproduction, which seems, as pointed out above, to be essentially different from the transfiguration of a model typical of a work of art, above all in the figurative arts. Such anonymity, which, by the way, is a way of veiling or hiding the identity of the person reproduced, also constitutes a specific problem from the point of view of the ethos of the human body in works of culture, particularly in contemporary works of so-called mass culture. Let us limit ourselves today to these preliminary considerations which have a fundamental significance for the ethos of the human body in works of art. A little later, these considerations will make us aware how closely they are tied to Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount that compare looking to desire with adultery committed in the heart. The extension of these words to the sphere of art is particularly important for creating a climate favorable to chastity, which Paul VI speaks about in his encyclical Humane Vitae. Let us try to understand this issue in a very deep and essential way. With these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concludes his 60th catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. Before delving into this 60th catechesis, I have to conclude uh, last time's presentation reflecting on Humanae Vitae 21, which Pope John Paul II cited in his 59th catechesis. Pope Paul VI wrote, and John Paul cites, that the periodic continence, which is property to the purity of married couples, demands continual effort. Holy marriage is not a cakewalk. It's a way of holiness. It's a way to heaven. And that requires continual effort. And part of the continual effort regards purity in the heart and purity in the deeds. Demands continual effort. Yet thanks to its beneficent influence, husband and wife develop their personalities integrally. The whole person is developed with all the virtues. Enriching each other with spiritual values. Temperance, prudence, fortitude, justice, modesty, all of those virtues are spiritual values, not just spiritual with my hands folded and my heads bowed on bended knee. That's one sort of spirituality, and that's good. But dealing with things of the spirit, and the virtues are there, as well as their corporeal manifestation. It favors attention to one's partner, helps both drive out egoism, and Pope Paul VI had cited egoism earlier, calling it selfishness in Humani Vitae 17, and it was cited in Gaudium et Spes 47, egoism as a profanation 
against conjugal love. Egoism is self-centeredness. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. Here, Pope Paul VI in Humanae Vitae 21 calls egoism the enemy of true love. The purity of married couples deepens their sense of responsibility. And when Pope John Paul II cites a deeper sense of responsibility from Pope Paul VI encyclical on the transmission of human life, Humanae Vitae, Article 21, we are reminded of the younger Karl Wojtyla's seminal work, Love and Responsibility, which in a sense is the precursor to the full-blown theology of the body, which we're reflecting on. I just wanted to conclude those reflections from the 59th Catechesis. Today, what we've heard was the 60th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, a Theology of the Body. And again, we're in the first part of the Theology of the Body, in which Pope John Paul II focuses our attention on the words of Christ. Chapter 1 focused our attentions on the words of Christ concerning the beginning. The Lord was asked if it was permissible to give out a decree of divorce. And the Lord Jesus referred us to the beginning. In the beginning it was not so. God created them male and female. For this reason a man leaves his father and his mother and he clings to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And so we have in that first chapter all sorts of thoughts on the original innocence, the original unity, the original holiness, the original justice, and even original sin. The second chapter has... Our attention focused on Christ's appeal to the human heart. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. I say whoever looks in a disordered way upon the other has already committed adultery in the heart. And so we're reminded not only to be pure in our deeds, how we act, but also in our longings, what's in our heart, what's in our minds. But today's catechesis, the 60th of the 133, is an appendix to chapter 2, The Ethos of the Body in Art and Media. The Ethos, how to act out. What is good that I should do? What is evil that I should avoid or repent if I've done it? The Body in Art and Media. Art, depicting things in film or sculpture. Dramatic presentations. In media, which is uh, an ability to communicate to more than just one, necessarily. This radio program or the podcast is a form of the media. You hear my voice. You did not see me record it, though. There are several passages in this 60th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, which stand out. This appendices will make up four different audiences. 60, 61, 62, and 63, and then chapter 3 of the first part of the Theology of the Body will begin. So that's good to keep it in the context. Pope John Paul II, in his work, A Theology of the Body, is engaged in theological hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, a science of interpretation, how to interpret something. Philosophical hermeneutics, when you look at the DNA sequencing, it has to be interpreted. Oh, well, this is pointing to this. When you have a blood test, they look for certain things, and it's interpreted. A theological hermeneutics interprets things about God, theos, theology, the science of God. Theological hermeneutics. And in this case, the theology of the body is a reflection of so many of the different sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pope John Paul II insists that awareness of both the objective reality of the body, 
here's my nose, here are my toes, and here's everything in between. I have a body, you have a body. This needs to be a part of our awareness. Here is a person, here is a human being, here is a man, here is a woman. That's an objective awareness of the body. But then also the subjective experience of the body. I feel good. I don't feel so good. I'm tired. I got a lot of energy. Those are some experiences of the body. I got some muscles. I got some flab. Subjective experiences of the body. Awareness of both of these are necessary. Pope John Paul II says that a theological hermeneutics must always consider these two aspects. What does that mean? It means if we don't consider the objective reality of the body and the subjective experience of the body, we cannot interpret things according to God. God who made us body and soul composites. God who has redeemed us body and soul. God who became like us in all things but sin in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ has a body objectively. Jesus Christ has had and does have subjective experiences of the body. He felt the nails in his hands. He knows the glory of his resurrection. He knew what it was to hunger. He knew what it was to weep. He has subjective experience of his own body, and there is the objective reality of his body. He was born in Bethlehem. He was buried in Jerusalem, and so much more. This 60th catechesis, man and woman, he created them a theology of the body. The appendix of chapter 2 reminds us that there are problems of the ethos of the body. What does it mean? What's the problem? Well, there are some people who say there's no such thing as good or evil. There's no such thing as right and wrong. And then there are other people, and Pope John Paul II is one of them. Oh, no, there is good and there is evil. And there are things we should do and there are things we should not do with our bodies. We need to get so much sleep. We need to get so much food. We need to be pure of heart. We need to be chaste in our dealings with each other. The problems of the ethos of the body arise because of two things. The ontological identification with subjective experience and living one's own body and interhuman relations, particularly the perennial man-woman relation. This is another way of saying what he's already said about the objective reality of the body and the subjective experience of the body. Ontological identification, this is my body. Those words are not just good or true for the Mass. They're true about each of us. When Pope John Paul II speaks of the perennial man-woman relation, he does not say anything about homosexuality, but he could have. Speaking of problems of the ethos of the body, the Holy Father addresses works of culture, and the root of the word culture is cult, the worship, the adoration given to God. And he mentions at least four different aspects of the works of culture, art, painting, sculpture, drama, and then he says contemporary audiovisual technology. He didn't say the World Wide Web or podcast, streaming video, but he could have. When speaking of the ethos of the body and art and media, Pope John Paul II draws our attention to the aesthetic experience and the aesthetic act. Aesthetics is that branch of philosophy which addresses beauty. Is this beautiful or what? Is this ugly or what? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, people say. Well, what is good about a pile of dung? Well, it means the intestines, the digestive tract is working, I suppose. And there's a certain beauty to that. But I don't want to be around it. It may be good fertilizer, but let's not display it in the living room on the wall or in the museum, as unfortunately has been 
attempted in certain depictions of the Blessed Mother of God. Proportionality has been a part of aesthetics. The human body is a perennial object of culture in the widest sense of the term. Why does the Pope say that? He says it because the human body is the one which does the culture, which makes the culture. If there were no composers, human beings, in their human bodies, there would be no symphonies, no operas, no rock and roll shows, no country music. There would be no paintings because the brushes could not be touched. There would be no sculptures. The stone could not be chiseled without the man's hand, driving the hammer, holding the chisel. The human body is the perennial object of culture in the widest sense of the term, not only as homo faber, the making man, but also of the subject. How many times in our paintings or in our dramas or in our sculptures are human figures depicted? So on both sides of the object of art, as it were, is the human being. And in this same vein, Pope John Paul II says, man is both a subject of culture and an object of culture. All of society, all of culture is for man, and man makes up culture, man makes up society. Pope John Paul II faced a different sort of reality during his life under the Nazi regime and during his life under the communist regime in his native Poland. Neither of those tyrannies recognized the rights or the dignity of man, of the human being, of the human person. It was the state which was to be the object of culture, and the state was to be the subject of culture. Everything was for the state. Everything was subordinated to the state, to the regime, to the party, and this is inhuman. Pope John Paul II, in this 60th Catechesis, tells us that the image reproduction of the human body anonymously is different from a live or an actual performance. When you go to the theater and see the actors on stage, it's different from seeing something on the silver screen or now on the digital screen. If you can hear the actors in the cinema breathing, it's because of the microphones. It's not because you're so close. If you can see the sweat glistening on the brow of the athlete on the television or on the DVD, on the recording, it's because of the quality of the camera, not because you're so close. There's a difference between being there and the reproduction through technical means. Pope John Paul II addresses the so-called mass culture in this 60th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, the appendix of chapter 2 of the first part, The Ethos of the Body in Art and Media. At first blush, to hear mass culture, well, some might think the worship of God given in the mass, and that would be a very happy thing. Even though the mass makes present the sacrifice of Calvary, what the Holy Father has in mind here when he uses the phrase so-called mass culture, I think has more to do with what could be called the MTV generation or all the kids in the world wearing Levi's and tapping their toes to the same pop stars. I know when I was a boy, there were certain celebrity icons, as it were. Farrah Fawcett in her red swimsuit, or Bo Derek in her movie 10, or the singer Madonna. All of these 
are human beings, no question. All of these made in the image of God, no question. All of these have talent, no question. But I've never met any of them. I know their names. I'd recognize their picture, perhaps recognize them if they walked into the room, although I believe Farrah Fawcett has gone to her eternal reward now, but I've never met them. The so-called mass culture if a poster of a lady wearing a certain swimming garment can be churned off on a printing press or reproduced on the Internet, it puts a greater distance between the person who is depicted and the person who beholds and their ethical issues there. Pope John Paul II reminds us of the importance of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount putting us on guard against concupiscence. I always think of those who participate in the sport of fencing. What do they say? On guard. Uh Be prepared to defend yourself. And here the Holy Father is telling us we have been warned to defend ourselves against the tendency we have to sin by the Lord Jesus Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount, which are the basis and the foundation of the theology of the body presented here now in its 60th Catechesis by Pope John Paul II. The Holy Father is not denouncing art in any sense of the word. It's important to remember that he was a playwright before he was a priest. He was an actor in the Rhapsodic Theater undercover in Poland. So he knows what drama is. He's seen sculptures, not only the Pieta in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, next to which his mortal remains will be transferred following his beatification, May 1st, 2011. But in Mexico City, he saw a sculpture depicting himself, made of keys which had been melted down, reminding us of those words in sacred scripture where Jesus Christ gave the keys to St. Peter, John Paul II was the successor to St. Peter. The Holy Father is not demeaning or debasing art or culture. He is calling it to excellence and keeping us on guard for any tendencies we might have to be led astray. Pope John Paul II, in this appendix to chapter 2, the 60th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, a theology of the body, reminds us that Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount compare looking to desire with adultery committed in the heart. And if depictions in art, in the media, lead us to adultery committed in the heart, we need to not participate in that sort of media. We need to encourage it to change. Pope John Paul II reminds us that Pope Paul VI, in his encyclical letter, Humani Vitae, on the transmission of human life, calls us to create a climate favorable to chastity. It's a very beautiful sentiment. It's not sentimentality. How wonderful to have a climate favorable to chastity not billboards screaming sexual pleasure at any cost, at any time, with anyone, not having television programs screaming the same, or songs. How many debasing songs on the radio? A boom, boom, boom. There's all sorts of terrible songs. The dance floor, silly. How many songs? How many films? How many television programs which are creating a climate not favorable to chastity, but a climate favorable 
to lust and immodesty and impurity. Just think of a culture which would exalt the memory of St. Maria Goretti, virgin martyr of chastity. Pope Paul VI calls us in Humani Vitae to create a climate favorable to chastity. So Pope John Paul II is seizing on the moment, and he's saying, I will do what I can to create a climate favorable to chastity. And now you and I, here we are, studying the theology of the body. And so in a sense, we're doing our part to foster a climate favorable to chastity. The Holy Father, John Paul II, wants us to understand this call, to understand our use of the media of art in a deep way, in an essential way, that we might be deeply and essentially pure of heart, for purity in man is the glory of God. Until next time, God bless you.